You're not going to stop until you get us both killed, are you? Al contraire, my thick-knuckled corporal. What I figured is if the Germans think we know something they don't, maybe they'll keep us alive. For how long? Well, who cares? As long as we're not dead. It's worth mentioning that I've been, I was going to say looking forward to watching this film for many decades, but that's not true. I was aware of this film for many decades and intrigued by it because when I was working on a television programme, you, you don't know about this period of my life, when I was working on a television programme called Doctor Who. Yeah, I heard that got cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, we killed it off. Um, I was working with Malcolm Cole on Delta and the Bannermen and Malcolm was talking about uh, I've got to get this right. Is it Charles Band or Richard Band? Charles Band. Yeah. Well, Char- Richard Band's a musician. Charles yeah. Band's the so Charles Band movies. Uh, and he mentioned Zone Troopers, and it sounded really cool. But what stuck in my head was, I thought it was a movie about futuristic soldiers fighting maybe on an alien world in the future. It's not that at all. But it mm-hmm. is a very cool movie. So the first thing, that the first surprise, as the cheesy titles unfold, they're cheesy because they're just it's just cheesy lettering is that it was playing this big band song in the mood yeah uh, and it's world war ii i had no idea so i thought okay so it's set in world war ii presumably with aliens which wasn't a difficult thing to guess because it begins with this guy what you would have called a dog face a dog face was a, a gi a foot soldier an american foot soldier reading a science fiction pulp magazine yes and that's one of the clever things about this script there's a lot of clever things about this script because it's going to be about these soldiers in World War II encounter aliens, they've made one of them a science fiction fan, so you can kind of be battle exposition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is a useful device, and I thought it was clever. It is. I, I also like the fact that it borrows from so many of those comics anyway. There's lots of elements of this film that have dragged in from all sources, especially the idea of the Nazis in any science fiction setting. Um, this, I think, is one, probably one of the earliest proper Nazi science fiction films I can think of. It, that, that actually is a trope now. I believe that Nazis on the moon has become a trope. Yeah. I, I, I don't agree with the word trope, but OK. You disagree with a lot of these things. <laughs> Cliché, how about that? Will that do for That'll you? That'll do. That, yeah. That's what we should be using, yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as so often, I'd like to know how you came upon this. I've explained how I first heard about it. I heard that there's this guy called Charles Band who made interesting low-budget movies, often science fiction films. Zone Troopers was one of those, and it was recommended by Malcolm. How did you first come to know about it? Once again, I have Mr. Raja to thank. I have um, no idea what that means. Oh, you see the guy who at the local, the local corner video store. Shop, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he used to give me posters that they'd stopped using in the shop, and obviously at this time, mm. that would be every four days they'd get new films in, yeah. so... Uh, one of the posters he gave me was the Zone Troopers poster, which, rather brilliantly, given how coy the film is, is a shot of the alien um, oh. on a nice blue background with red lettering. It was a great poster, uh, but he didn't have the film. So I had to trot all the way to another video shop to get the film. I used to get that from Apollo 7 in uh, Gilders. So the poster wet your interest? Yeah, and I rented that film a lot. I'm I impressing really to explain that wet is spelled W-H-E-T and means sharpen rather than yes. dampen. Anyway, so that got you interested in the movie. Yeah, and I, I just loved it. I, it's 
it's everything I want. Well, there's a lot. Yeah, well, there's a lot to love. Um, to I don't think it quite works, but I think it's a brilliant concept. The I'd say that its main problem is that the acting is very variable. Some of it's pretty good, but some of it's pretty bad. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it is, and I think you can actually identify from the locations the sequence of filming, and you can see how the performances improve as filming goes on. But obviously, because the film's shot out of sequence, you keep backtracking and you get earlier performances compared to later performances. Oh, that's quite, interesting. Yeah. I, this is just obsessive me as a child, having watched it a lot. Yes. Um, you, you eventually get the hang of. Um, You're in a good position to improve. deconstruct it. Yeah. Now the big surprise. The titles, the uh, the credits rather, don't come until the end. I discovered it was made, it was shot in Italy. Yeah, uh, which they do mention. I mean, they say they're in Italy, but when you look at it, it doesn't look like Italy at no, all. No, I do. It just and looks it makes like, no sense for it to be in Italy. It looks like Virginia. <laughs> yeah, you know? I thought it was um, in America. It's the least Italian-looking film I've seen, next to Kioma. Oh well, we'll get to that. Yeah, in well, which we'll also get to. But yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? it I would never. I was convinced. I even made a note that yeah, this does not look like. I'm resisting the urge to say that Kioma was shot in Spain. Let's, but let's save that for Kioma. <coughs> this is, yeah. So point. it's basically, it's shot, it is shot on location in Italy during the Italian campaign in World War II. Yes. And just to cut a long story short, they run into aliens. Uh, well, an alien, initially. Uh, but before we get to that, I've written that they're very variable acting, but very effective battle sequences. There's a good fight scene right at the beginning, firefight right at the beginning. As with any low-budget film, you get your big action scene in very early on because you've got a lot of talk to go in the middle, and then you've got your big action scene at the end. This is the pattern with any film from this sort of genre. And the only problem with this action sequence is that the machine guns don't actually do anything. <laughs> They're non-practical props, so they are literally just physical props. They don't even have a flash, a muzzle flash. They haven't even bothered to but put I a did, muzzle flash on the You know that because you've seen it many times. Yeah. I just watched it I thought, okay, whoever shot this actually can do, do a decent action scene, oh, which yeah. I appreciate it. I thought it was, I thought it was very effective. Well, it's worth noting the visual effects in this film are by John Carl Buechler. 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 I don't really know how to pronounce that. Uh, but some of, these, some of the visual effects are excellent, so I was going to ask about that. Uh, he, well, he's very good at visual effects, and he went on to direct Friday the 13th Part Listen, five, I believe. This this is not a recommendation for, for me. It's not for you. Yes. Oh, also, for me. more pertinently to present day, he died last year, oh. and he had a very high profile because he couldn't afford to pay his medical bills because he's American, and obviously, when you get terminally ill in America, then you also it's get terminally business. bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a huge crowdfunding exercise oh. to get money for him, and they got the money. I mean, we're talking about a quarter of a million here. They were looking for. Did so. he do anything else that I might have heard besides Friday the Thirteenth? Honestly, I can't remember. All I, I really only know these two films, and I probably should have looked them up, but the fact that he'd done those two was enough for me to chuck some money his way when he was ill. So, Did, I mean, did you contribute? Well, yeah. Well, good for you. Well, I think everyone. I mean, <laughs> the, the amount of people that put money in, it was so nice to see. Now, while you're talking, I'm having a quick look, because we want to give credit where it's due. It, it, well, Danny, some... Danny Bilson is the writer-director. You... Yeah. Uh, and he co-wrote the script with Paul DeMeo, and I'm just seeing what else they've done. And Danny Bilson has done loads of stuff, none of which I've heard of. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Am I oh. confusing things, or did he do trances? He didn't, did he? He did do trances. Yeah. Well, it's, he wrote... Uh, hang on, this is... I, have I you seen trances? So, so annoying. That was the other one that Malcolm Cole recommended. Well, trances is great. We should do it if you haven't seen it, but there's about ten of them now. <laughs> so he did not direct trances, but he did write it. Yeah. 
It's got a great uh, main character named Jack Death. <laughs> so he did loads of TV, but nothing else that I would have really have heard of. And the other writer, oh, he's got some interesting credits. Um, so the other writer being Paul DeMeo. And I'm just having a quick look. So he all they co-wrote Trances. So we must get to Trances office at some point soon. Oh, I'm always happy to do Trances. I've got a box set of it somewhere. Well, the, there was Trances two and Trances three, but he did work on the screenplay for Rocketeer, which is kind right. of impressive, isn't it? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't get Rocketeer. I've tried. I don't see the appeal. But it's got a huge. Uh, forgive following. me. So did they? They both did. Danny Bilson and, and Paul DeMeo were a team, and they both worked on Rocketeer. But which I suppose is similar territory here. Yeah, but the reason I'm surprised and pleased about that is it's a big budget movie. I thought they'd just done a lot of low budget, <laughs> um, forgettable stuff. Yeah, but this is the mid '80s. Something like Zone Troopers, while it's low budget now, was regular budget then. No, it was low budget then. No, I disagree. No. The amount of stuff getting made, the volume of stuff getting made. You've either got your big budget Spielbergs, or you've got this, which is all straight this to video. Is a very low. Okay, it's low. I could find you much lower budget crap than this from the eighties. Trust we me. We can agree on the term <laughs> straight to video. Yes, yeah. which, which defines what this is. I mean, these were never intended to bother the cinemas, although everyone will obviously have their dreams that that will happen. No, no, if we can call it direct to video, then that is a B yeah. movie. That's yeah. what I'm trying to establish. Uh, I've written that, that I laughed out loud at the first alien shot, which is a red point of view shot. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of films that are coy about their alien because you're going to see it eventually. Oh, no. You see it from its yes. So, so first of all, you see from the alien's point of view, and everything is red. But the thing that made me laugh out loud is a big furry paw comes into shot. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was chuckleable. But I did, but I liked it. It it was I thought it was silly and colourful. You were saying about having the um, the science fiction obsessive there to further the plot and to yeah. act as uh, Johnny Exposition. Actually, they've got a much better uh, device than that in that they have a journalist join them who can go around each member and ask them their backstory and interview them, which I think is actually a really neat idea, and I might nick that one day. Yeah, it's useful for any movie, whereas the science fiction fans useful for a science fiction movie. Yeah. Uh, what I like is they find... They are eventually going to st stumble on an alien spaceship, and they pick up this piece of the, the ship's kind of broken apart slightly and they find some bits of it and uh this, the guy who picks it up says it's so cold it hurt funny looking gizmo but i love that it's so cold it hurt that really worked well for me there's a bit just to blow our own horn uh in doctor who in the curse of fenric where ian briggs wrote this fantastic thing where these girls pick up again it's kind of an alien artifact and they they say, oh, it, it feels like, like sort of electric. Yeah. And I, it's the same kind of thing. I love that. I think, just think it really sells it. It is nice. And then you've got the other wonderful low-budget science fiction film scene that we've seen way too many times of the half-buried ship because it's a lot cheaper than building a whole ship. <laughs> so ships half-buried underground are quite common in these things. Yeah, well, that's... The difference with this one is it's effing huge. Yeah, well, that, that is a very good thing, but it keeps reminding me of Quatermass in the Pit. Although in Quatermass in the Pit, they do dig the ship up, don't they? Yeah. yeah. This is a very Quatermassy kind of movie. It, it does seem to me, maybe they'd seen the, uh, the Hammer film of Quatermass in the Pit, these guys, because it does seem to have a Nigel Neal vibe to it, which is a good thing. It's an entirely good thing. I'd, I write my notes as I'm going along, and so I thought it was quite clever that the spaceship... It's cleverly summarised through drawings and photos because the journalist you mentioned finds this Nazi camp yes. and sneaks in and he finds this tent full of 
drawings and photos of the spaceship. And I thought, well, that's a really clever way to get around it. But then we do get to the spaceship and it is huge and it's pretty good. Some of the shots are a bit dodgy uh, of it, but when you get inside it, it looks great. And also when you get quite close up to it, you can see they put a lot of detail making it look scorched and things like that. I really liked it. I thought it was a good, good crash spaceship. There's well nice done, boys. design going on it. And it does look like they spent their money. The money's on the screen, which is always nice to see because we know it's not a lot of money. They've made it look good. When um, when that journalist is looking around the camp and they're looking at the drawings of the ship and everything else, there's a nice piece of dialogue. Well, I like this piece of dialogue where he says, um, could be some kraut secret weapon. And the other guy says, or it could be ours. That is a nice piece of dialogue, yeah. <laughs> this idea of uh, fearing your own side's technology your and what government, they're planning. Right. Uh, when they get inside the spaceship, it is seriously impressive. That's my notes. I've written quite a mass of the bit and alien because there's this great bit where they find this kind of viewing apparatus, which is kind of a periscope thing, and the science fiction fan says to the Sarge, it wasn't made for a human head, Sarge. It's just a great little shivery moment. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> There's, um... Again, I've got this note here about this alien, in that even up to this point, and we're about 40 minutes in, they're still being coy about showing the alien. Well, that's good, because although you like the poster, yeah. the alien is terrible. <laughs> The alien is terrible, but... Oh, actually, no, I... No, um, uh, yeah, I am going to get a fight out of him. I like that they clearly got a woman to play the alien. Oh, did they? Um, well, because... Sorry, spoilers, folks. The, the the alien turns out to be female. Exactly. And I never once knew that there was know, a woman in the suit. Exactly. Oh, once okay. you know and you're watching, you can tell that it's a woman in the suit and it's got quite an effeminate walk to it. Because uh, there's not that many that long alien, shots. Cause that has got an effeminate walk. <laughs> that alien. Um... Yeah, I think it works quite nicely. It by using the long shots, you can see just how big that head is as well, though, which is rather unfortunate. Well, the the thing is, it's very clear from the dialogue that the and again, this suggests that these that these two guys, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, had seen uh, Quatermass in the Pit. They keep referring to the alien as like a giant insect. They call it Jiminy Cricket and Grasshopper and things like that, and it was just. I, I guess it was just too difficult to try and yeah. make a, a, a suit for a human being that looked like that. So they just made it look like a monkey, basically. Well, they made the monkey. intention to have it as an animatronic or something like that, and that went out the window. But it doesn't look at all insectoid. It looks mammalian, I think. I, no, I think it looks like a tarantula. I think that's their, their source. So it's hairy, it's got the big black eyes, it's got sort of thorns on, uh, fangs on the mouth there, and it's got... Oh, OK, well, hands. looking at that, I can see why you would think that. But to me, it looked like a monkey with big eyes. Okay. But uh, I would point out that spiders are not insects. They're arachnids. Well, of course they are. <laughs> but it's insectoid. Uh, now that you say that, I can imagine people thinking that. But to me, it looked like a monkey. And that's not good because there's a long and terrible tradition of science fiction movies involving guys in gorilla suits. <laughs> there is. I've seen far worse. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, I've written highly variable effects special effects great spaceship terrible critter <laughs> fortunately the alien isn't their selling point i think the action is their selling point the, the story the story in the script is are really good and so one forgives just just like doctor who or something one forgives some dreadful effects because it's a really cool story except for this thing i've written that it, it's a great concept but they they don't really know what to do with it no, there isn't. There's not a satisfactory ending, and I wonder if it's the ending that they had written, and whether it had to change during filming. Well, the thing about 
we keep referencing Quatermass in the pit. The thing about that is that's a movie that moves remorselessly to a very thoughtful and powerful conclusion. This no, this is just a bunch of stuff happening. It's a very interesting situation, but it's not going anywhere. Well, you have to ask yourself if it's meant to. Is this meant to be popcorn entertainment, or is it meant to have a message? And but I don't you, but think even it's pop, meant to have a message. No, but popcorn entertainment you can do, but what you you do have to have a really tight punchy story that that comes to a satisfying ending and this doesn't do that well it gives you the yeehaw punch the air we beat the uh, the germans mentality that everyone seems to enjoy I, you know when you've seen a, a movie which has a really satisfactory ending, absolutely this, this doesn't but it does have lots of cool stuff along the way what one, I th one, one of the things i think they miss out on opportunity here is the comic book that is written as a consequence of the film which I've got to say that he keeps talking about comic books. They're not comic books. They're they're pulp science fiction magazines, which are all text with some illustrations. They're not comics. I, I believe I'm right in saying that. But you you know feel free to contradict me. But I do think that these were pulp magazines and not comics. Tell the truth, I can't remember the ones. They've only really show the covers to illustrate them. In the yeah, thing, but but so. they're, they're, the covers are based on the pulp mags, which were short contain short stories, text stories. I'm sure they call them comic books in the film though. Mm, uh, when you watch the movies. Guys, you'll you'll see that I'm right and he's wrong. No one's going to watch it. <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> well, I I want to get to Anita Zagaria, but you know, whenever you're ready. Would this be the uh, fantasy sequence? Dream Girl. Yeah. It's, but, because this is one of the things that they do that they don't do in Quatermass, which I really loved. Because it okay, so there's a scene in which they eventually meet up with the alien. They kind of take it prisoner, and they're all eating their terrible GI rations, their food. And they can't interest the alien in any of the food. But then they take out their cigarettes, start smoking them. And I thought, well, the alien won't smoke it, but I bet it wants to eat a cigarette. And it does. Yeah. So it wants to eat the cigarettes. And the thing is, it swaps them something. It swaps them a really crappy-looking alien artifact. It's the most crappy thing you've ever seen. But when they push a button on it, it does this amazing thing. Because they're, um, they're basically in this sort of cave. Uh, and suddenly, at the back of the cave, there's this door opens, and this green light shines through, and this slinky... Hollywood temptress appears and it sort of beckons the guy in. So what it is is this machine kind of um, uh, enacts your fantasies and, and it's just been swapped to him for a cigarette. I just thought this is fabulous. Also, it crowbars uh, a woman into the movie, in a, a, a glamorous woman, in a, in a really clever way. And it's also just a really effective little... I love the green light in it. She's a really good slinky 1940s-style Hollywood temptress. I just thought it was delightful, and it was one of the things that they haven't derived from another movie that that I know about. I would have been tempted to have a punchline to it of someone else trying the same device and getting a very different result and not wanting anyone to see what their secret desire actually is. I, yes, <laughs> having uh, introduced this great concept that they, they don't do much with it, no. which is globally, if I can use that term, that's the problem with this movie, is that they have these great ideas but they don't really go anywhere. Well, it's a fascinating technology these aliens have. We only see three examples of what they can actually do. One is a stick which stops uh, a rocket from blowing up a lorry. Look, I had to... Another okay, one is a grenade so, so that ba destroys ba basically, uh, tree branches. Basically, what, what, um, what Matt's saying is it's kind of a force field type thing. But I had to watch... <laughs> I had to rewind and work out what had happened. Yeah. Because they're in this truck and the Germans are about to use a self-propelled grenade, a rocket launcher or something to blow up the truck. And they have this device that the alien triggers for them. And it causes, if you rewind a couple of times, you can see some, a very crappy 
job of having the uh, the, the 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 shell or the grenade bounce off the truck harmlessly. The reason it doesn't work is because they're all inside the truck and can't see that happening, and yet they still thank the alien for saving. That's right. Them. So they have That's no right. idea what it's just done. I was I was going to point that out if I'd remembered that because that bugged me at the time. Uh, but it, it's it's a really got some excellent stuff in it, and it's cheeky, and it they've delved these guys, Demayo and Bilson, have researched the World War Two period, and they put in lots of little details of slang and cultural things which I really liked mm. uh, and at the very end of the movie if you stay till the very end of the credits it says buy war bonds available in the lobby <laughs> which, uh, movies used to say probably um, I'll be seeing you probably said that at the end but we didn't stay long enough so I, I love that I've, I have a lot of affection for this movie and it's very interesting low budget science fiction film uh, in, the, in the lineage of Quatermass how did you get with Richard Band's soundtrack uh, it's, I, I believe it was all synthy. I can't really remember. It didn't. Well, it's synth it up to a point, but I mean, bear in mind this is eighty-five, so there's definitely an orchestra been involved somewhere because you've got that. There's a big band noise when they do their big escape. I like which is the full-on John Williams. I like the big band uh, in the sense of they were doing Glenn Miller kind in of Luke, music. Yeah, yeah, which I um, liked a lot. No, no, there's the escape from the Nazi camp, which has a full orchestral. Yeah. But I don't think that that was composed for that film. I think they've used it from some other source. Yeah, they've recycled. It may even be stock, I don't know, but um, if it is stock, it's a bit much. <laughs> yeah, so in some ways I would have called it a fascinating failure, but it's got a lot of interesting stuff. In oh, one thing before we go, the, the character called the Sarge is referred to as the Iron Sarge hmm. because he's indestructible and he never seems to be killed. I thought that was he was going to turn out to be an alien. I thought that was going to be a plot point. Yeah, I doesn't need anyway. Yeah, I like some of the names as well. Uh, Mittens, I think, is a great name for the, for the yeah, main guy. Was his name Matinsky or something? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mittens is one that I've used. There's good in character other places. stuff. They've done the research <laughs> about the period. The whole intertwining of the war story and the science fiction story is really cleverly done. Some of the alien stuff is is neat. The guns are a great design. Their guns at the end when they join the fight. The the, um, the alien guns are terrible. They no, look, no, they, they look aren't. Like, they look like sink plungers. If you were to look at a pulp science fiction book cover from around that oh, time, that's what they look like. Oh, if you and look I, at it from that point, yeah. yeah, then they're great. Same goes for the ship designs. They're, yeah. they're very circular. They've got the, the pointy bits on them. It's like Flash Gordon. They look ridiculous, but if but you look at them the in period. the context of a pulp comic book... Yes, again, that's really... that That's a clever little point, and it's really great. But the main problem with this movie is that it doesn't know what to do with a great concept. No. Yeah, and it does it does trickle off, and because it's a low budget, you could you could cut ten minutes from it, which they did, but they cut the wrong ten minutes. They cut that. Um, what did not, they cut? You mentioned it's this. mostly the slaughter at the beginning. So when they, that battle we were talking about, the big machine gun battle yeah. where the Nazis are storming the, what's left of that sort of castle ruins. Yeah, most of that is what was cut. Why? Why do you think they did that? Uh, for TV, I assume, because it's only it's, it's a PG anyway. Well, that wasn't a spectacularly violent, but but it, yeah, but that wouldn't have affected the story, would it? Well, no, but it, it does affect the pace because without that action hit, you've oh, not got a lot going on for a long true. time. That's very true. They're wandering around the woods, basically, yeah. aren't they? Ah, good point. So, yeah. But no, I'm, I'm glad you watched it. I actually struggled with this a bit this time around. I haven't seen well, it in a seen good it 10, 15 about years. 50 times, though, haven't you? As a child, yeah, but yeah. this was. I haven't watched it, it much as an adult. It has so. certainly wet my appetites about WHET to watch Trancers. Trancers, I will sort out for us at some Thank point. You. We'll add it to the massive doorstep that you've still yeah, got to we watch for the rest of We haven't got enough movies to watch. Yeah, we'll find a way. But yeah, okay. Certain Troopers is a okay. Yeah. This has been a podcast. 
by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for the smoke. See you later. <laughs>